Hello and welcome to another episode of the old Bottled Up Potty. Um, I'm stoked to be introducing our very special guest, Dean Mum. We sat down with this legend uh, last year in the cold London winter, um, having been connected through a mutual friend of ours, Rhythm Gupta. So massive shout out to that man. Now, for those of you who don't know, Dean is a retired rugby union legend with a career spanning over 100 appearances for the New South Wales Waratahs, three years in the UK playing for Exeter, and 56 caps for the Australian Wallabies. Outside of his inspiring sports career, in this episode, Dean opens up about his journey to fatherhood and the troubles he and his wife Sarah had with preterm birth. Now, what struck me most about this conversation is his insight into the strength and resilience required to get through this experience. He also sheds light into what he learnt on the power of connection, the value of a human life, and his and Sarah's mission to raise funds for research into reducing the prevalence and impact of preterm birth through their charity, Born HMRI. So without further ado, this is Dean Mum. And we're live. Dean, welcome to the Bottled Up uh, podcast, mate. Uh, it's awesome to have you on. Uh, so yeah, welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, and no, I'm delighted yeah. to be here. And um, yeah. yeah, really stoked to speak with you boys. <laughs> Likewise, and um, uh, joined by the the marvelous Mank, uh, as always on on these episodes. So massive, massive shout out to uh, Rhythm Gupta for putting us in touch. Um, I remember I was working out. I was actually uh, seeing a physio down down near Clayton. Bumped into Rhythm uh, in the change rooms, and we got chatting away. And uh, one thing led to another, and he's like, "There's this guy called Dean that you must get on." <laughs> uh, and so. Uh, he's obviously spoken incredibly highly of you. Mank and I have been um, following on with parts of your story and it's absolutely incredible. Uh, a lot of the work that you've been doing, Dean. Um, I know it's almost like you've had so many different hats across your across your life um, and very keen to kind of break that down over the next hour or so. Um, I'm going to test your... Uh, Test whether you've done your homework on bottled up. So we we normally start our we normally we normally start our episodes with a um bit of a lighthearted, but you know, you can go as deep as you like with these questions. Um, but it's a very simple question to kick things off before we get into the meat of the discussion. And that question is, um, how did you sleep um you know last night? Um and how have you how's your sleep been just in general over the last couple of days? Um my sleep last night was okay. Bit late, probably for me. Uh, I'm a, a generally early to bed, early to rise type of guy. Um, but last night that was a little bit late. We had the uh, the year one trivia contest uh, last night for my son, and uh, and it was it went late because they he also it was it was K one and two where he's and uh, they sold off all these auction prizes uh, for all the paintings the kids did. And um, yeah. yeah, so that just added this bulk. But the trivia was quite intense. The trivia was, yeah, but it just pushed us a little bit later. So yeah, sleep was, uh, I feel like I'm a couple of hours probably short. And it's been yep. the same throughout the last couple of days. Because I went to the theatre in a couple of hours. It's been a busy week. I was in Melbourne, yeah. all those sorts of things. So um, generally sleep pretty well, but um, no, probably early to bed tonight, I yeah. think. Which is, yeah, Saturday night. It's pretty boring. <laughs> yeah. How many yep. hours would you usually get? I normally get uh, I normally would get seven or eight. Um, yeah, depending on the uh, what's going on. Yeah, 
with work, but I, I suppose, yeah, I, I try seven or eight. I, I'm always, I've always been a great sleeper. I've always got to mm. sleep really, really quickly. Uh, and my mates always sort of um, take the piss out of me because I was always that bloke that would sort of fall asleep on the couch or they look over at the party and, you know, you're asleep somewhere else. You're speaking my I language, mate. I can't sleep on planes. <laughs> so sunny. I can't sleep on planes or buses or those sort of things, but <laughs> um, get me near a bed or a couch, I'm, I'm good to go. <laughs> Indeed, Sunny and I, we travelled together in uh, Japan in 2019 and um, always tried to have some sort of deep conversation with him when he, was, when he was sleeping. But then, mate, like lights out and away we go. As soon as his head hit that pillow, mate, done. You can't get a word. It's done. <laughs> Still, Sunny, well done. Uh, no, I've, I've, been in, I've been in conversations like that and I've, uh, I've been on both sides of them, yeah. No, nah, no. Nah. Um, yeah, there's obviously there's so many different ways we can take the episode today, Dean. Like obviously, um, your story with Born Health, story with Sarah, um, you know your time playing rugby with, uh, you know New South Wales, you know the Wallabies, Exeter. There's so many different hats that you've worn, and and now you're in this next chapter in your life where you're an advocate as well for preterm birth and uh, doing some awesome, awesome stuff in that space. Um, I thought maybe what might be a good place to kick it off um, is just around your recent trip to Costa Rica. Um, you know, what did you guys get up to? Um, it's quite a recent trip as well. So what do you guys get up to? Um, and what was the purpose behind um, that trip? Yeah. Um, so the, we'll start with the purpose. Um, yeah. Simon Sinek style. Always yeah. start with your wife. <laughs> um, five wives. Five wives. The, um, yeah. We, why do we go there? We went there because of... Um, because Sarah, my wife and I run a charity into the prevention of preterm birth. Um, and the charity is called Born HMRI. And HMRI stands for the Hunter Medical Research Institute here in Newcastle in Australia. And uh, incredible, absolutely incredible um, researchers, Australian researchers that we have here looking into pregnancy and, and mothers and babies and what we can do to give children the best start to their life. Um, researchers... Uh, yeah, in themselves are incredible, highly specific, um, but they need funding and funding is difficult to get um, because research is, is non-tangible. Um, it's very important, as we all know, there's no progression without research or mm. the scientific um, rigour behind it necessarily, but it's it's not a... Um, it's not a humidity crib or it's not a, it's, you know, it's not something tangible that someone can see and purchase and buy. And it's, it's slow and it's slow moving and it's, it's going to, it will lead to change, but in time and no one can give you that results. And failure is it failure is 95% of research, mm. you know? And, and so, um, <laughs> yeah, it's like, you want to fail? Do you want to fund failure? Mm. Um, so you've got to do lots of, you've, lots, you've got to do lots of different things, um, to, 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 to get it there. And so we're only a young charity. It's it's Sarah and I doing it off the side of our back, um, side of our desk, sorry. And um, so we, we've done, I've done a couple of adventures um, essentially um, and Costa Rica was one of those. Um, I'd previously been to the North Pole. Um, and so, you know, the, being, you know, you would work, you would walk to the end of the earth for your children. And so we took it quite literal and did that and did walk to the end of the earth, which was pretty cool. Um, but this one was like, oh, you walk across the country for your, for your children. So instead of walking across Australia like or running like uh, like Ned did, we're going to, um, we thought we'll find one that's a little bit smaller. So we went to Costa Rica and in um, in the space of six days, we did 285K and did a full crossing of from the Caribbean coast to the Pacific. 
um, over the um, over the volcanoes that sit in the middle. So the volcanoes in Costa Rica, we didn't go all the way to the top, but um, they're about three three thousand three hundred meters, and we got to probably about two five. So there was a lot of climbing in on on yeah on our feet or on a bike or and um, yeah lots of downhills as well. So no, it was, <laughs> it was great fun. It's such a such an incredible country because um, it, it's got this sort of really lovely soft people like they don't have an army in mm. Costa Rica. Um, quite quite proud of the fact that they're not an army, but they're not a passive nation either. But they're um, they but they also sort of inherently in their culture they treasure conservation and, and environment and the connection to the environment and understand it. Um, yeah, I think coffee and bananas are the two largest one of the two largest mm. exports of, in Costa Rica. So mm. it makes sense to take care of them. But they've got they've got forty percent of their country under conservation and twenty percent of the the land in national parks. And it's bloody amazing, you know, and because you've got such a different yeah. um you got two coastlines, so two different seas coming in. Plus, you've got all these different microclimates. They've got, um, as I said, two, so two and a half percent of the world's forest, but seven and a half percent of the world's biodiversity. It is just mm. rammed in there, you know. Like there's so much life, yeah. and it's um it's awesome to see and to witness. And luckily enough, you know, we were going through the rivers and through the paths, through the jungle, and through these remote areas, getting mm. to experience it and see sloths and toucans and macaws and um, states and tarantulas and all these other things which are very very cool so that was awesome no that's that's so interesting dean and and thank you for sharing that i think one of the things that that really does um stick out to me particularly from people that um that start their own initiatives is kind of the the story behind it i think everyone of course has a story that's one of the things we've learned here on the podcast and um is particularly even with with bottled up story there's a story behind why we've started this initiative i think the initiative kind of becomes a an extension of yourself and i think this is a this this initiative that you started seems to be uh, a, an extension of of dean mum and, and and of you and your wife as well so i think that's uh it, it's really inspirational are you able to share with us and and of course i'm understand the sensitivities behind this and if you're if you're willing to share what was the story behind this this initiative and 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 how did this actually come about oh we started it um we started because i mean we didn't choose to start it and i think the more you go through life um you realize life is like a it's it's more like a river isn't it Mm -hmm. you know and and we're all in it and we're all getting taken there and you know sometimes it's nice and calm and you're in there with eddy and you can stop and reflect and other times it's wild and it's moving and you've got neither sense have you got control on what's going on mm. um for us we've been through some pretty solid rapids if we're going to use that analogy um and we've lost we've got six children um but we only get to raise two so we've lost four so we lost sophie henry and twins ella and grace in three separate incident incidences mm. um with with preterm labor now each one of those three times was um something different it was the cause of the labor or the cause of the, the yeah our children getting born early uh, was different um but ultimately, the reason why they passed away was because they were born, just born too soon. You know, if they were born later on, like, so, yeah, you know, if they were born 37 weeks gestation or whatever like that, they would have been okay or would have had a great chance at survival. Hmm. So 
I suppose for us, then we look at it. We we were looking for something, to, a way to give back. And ultimately, when our son Alfie was delivered in London to a wonderful obstetrician and researcher called Professor Mark Johnson, um, you're like, well, someone's just giving the opportunity to have a family. Mm. You know, you've got to. I don't know. I feel like you've got to. You've got to try and give back to that person. And and here was Mark, the brilliant obstetrician. <laughs> trying to run a charity born off almost paying off his own um, fees, you know, mm. and people saw saw that and realized that and started to help him out. And so we have, we started helping him out with that. Then they asked me if I wanted to go to the North Pole um, mm. while I was still playing. Was, yes, it's not an immediate yes, as you might imagine. <laughs> and, and being an Australian and, and someone asking you, you want to go to minus 30 if you're up for it. Nah. Um, so an immediate yes, you know, maybe if I was from yeah, regional Norway, it'd be a different question. But <laughs> no, anyway, we got there and then we thought, why not? Um, why not do it? But if we're going to do it, why not do it better? And why don't we do and open our own chapter essentially of the charity here in Australia? And then why don't we see if we can do it? And then, but sort of doing this and having a charity or something gives you some sort of certainty or gives you some sort of connection to it. It's almost, um, in a way, it's a coping method, but it's, yeah, it's trying to give back in, in some way and trying to make sure that others don't necessarily need to go through what, what we did. Mm. Yeah. There's so many different, so many different things that are going through my mind, but Mank, I think you might know this, but I had, I have like an older brother that's obviously uh, no longer here, but they only, he only lived for, I think, a couple of months after he was born, um, but got a virus and ended up passing away. Uh, and then I was born in 1998 and then my brother was born in 2003. So this was like 1996, but even my mum, um, speaking about him like just like it it still it still captures a place in her heart um in her mind just yep. knowing knowing about the child and, and who was born um the tough thing is the anticipation and the hope that you have you know for those 20 27 30 weeks you know as you're anticipating the baby um let alone you know then you're processing the death of the baby as well like after after you've given birth um especially for preterm birth but uh for you and Sarah, and I'm very conscious. I'm also we're also tapping to Sarah's story here as well. Um, it's both of your yeah. shared stories here. But um, how, like, you know, if you go back to, um, I think you mentioned like Sophie and Henry and um, Ella and Grace. Like each of these times, like, how did you and Sarah come together in in these moments? Because um, they're incredibly tough, incredibly heavy. Both of you are processing these. Um, you know, these passings independently as well, as much as you guys are coming together to share the grief and share the, um, uh, the processing, you guys are both independently doing it as well. I can imagine. So, yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a, um, it's a very poignant point you make in the fact that it's true, but also back to your family, you know, it's, it's right in it's, you know, it is your child that gets born, that gets delivered that you just don't get to raise, but it remains your child. And seemingly the other side, I mean, just quickly what I sort of hear is, is, is the power of still remembering your brother, it was your mm, brother, yeah. the power of remembering your brother, the power of remembering your brother's birthday for your mum, mm. you know, because you didn't know him, yeah. but she knew him, mm. you know, and she was part of him. 
and and vice versa. And so the power of remembering for for anyone out there that has friends or families, and you know, there's twenty thousand Australian families that have preterm. It's not this. The chances are not that high. You know, mm. pretty high that you know someone or will know someone. So the power of remembering someone's name or their birthday is huge. It's totally massive. Yeah. You know, like it's. And it's 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 such a it's not a big effort. It's a reminder in your phone and a text message at that time. But that will be the the, the joy you'll give someone else as a result of that, mm-hmm. and therefore that you know the the joy you will get from that itself is 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 is, so, it is totally worth it. Mm-hmm. And you should do that. We've got a friend of ours in Exeter who we knew for two years, but every year she goes to the grave of Sophie on Sophie's birthday and, and put some flowers there. Mm-hmm. Now there's there's absolutely no need for her to do that, but every time she does it, we feel great and warm, mm-hmm. and I'm sure she feels it. And the reason why she did it is her mum did that for her friend of hers, mm-hmm. you know. And that's that's powerful. That's powerful interaction and connection with someone. And well, I feel so connected to that person, even though I've seen her once in the last five years, yeah. mm-hmm. you know. So anyway, we we digress. Yeah. Um, oh, thank you for sharing a little bit. But how do you how do you deal with this well you deal with it as best as you can mm. and each time we went through it, it's totally different yeah because the context of what happens uh any effort in you know the first time 80 percent of um preterm birth loss happens in someone's first pregnancy so people come in and rightly so they're delighted here's an opportunity to have a family to have it have children um but they just are unaware of if they might be at risk yeah. You know, they, the chances are they might not be, like probability-wise, but they might be, you know. And so, therefore, you go from this sense of joy and happiness and ignorance is bliss. It's delightful. Mm. We would have loved to have remained in ignorance and had children. Um, and and, and yeah, it doesn't, it's not a negative thing. I'm just saying it is bliss to not have to be aware of some mm. of these things. But when it hits, and, and that's why in the first one, we just moved to the UK when it happened, I was playing over there. We we didn't have an immediate support structure around us. Uh, and then we went from having a seemingly normal scan to three days later being there telling them that we're going to lose our job. Mm. You know, and it's, you know, like the shock. You, you to, to be fair, you ride the shock through. And, you, you know, we, fuck, we had to sit in this room in the in the in the hospital and the hospital the room is called, in the labor ward and it's called the bereavement room. Yeah, right. like right. Maybe think maybe yeah. think of a better name. Yeah, for that room, you know. But you're also sitting on a ward where you can hear other babies being born, and they try and segregate you away, but you can you hear them and you hear babies screaming and you know with joy with life. It's what they do, and it's that that is hard. You know, mm-hmm. and then you come out of that hospital and you 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 go home and you 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 don't take your child with you, and it that's that first little while is bloody hard, you know. Mm-hmm. And to be fair for me, I always had uh, rugby, I had sport, and so I always had an avenue which seemingly, from a mental health point of view, is very positive. You know, it's mm-hmm. social, it's <clears throat> engaging, there's people you're interacting with. Um, you, you, you know, you go and talk and then you do a physical activity, you know. So in the two areas, for me, that's that's positive mental behaviours, mental yeah. health behaviours that you're entertaining in, you know, highly social, super mindful, you know, as we talked about, the, the stick's high if you 
you don't, you're not mindful when you, you're not in there mm. and you're going to get hit. And that's a nice reminder that you probably should be mindful. And then um, it, it's exercise. And so you just get flooded with these great endorphins. But, yeah, it's very different to my, the experience that Sarah might have had. I'm not mm. going to talk on her behalf, mm. but it was hard for her because we didn't have any friends there. We didn't have any family. And she was at home with what she should have, should have been pregnant mm. and she wasn't pregnant and there was no nothing to do. Mm. you know and so her experience was totally different to mine and it was really hard so what we had to do is we sort of we tried to find a way where we could um talk together like but have almost have a focus period of grief if we could mm. and again this is like this sounds like it was conscious this was just coping yeah you know, this is just our way of getting through and we would just go, all right, when I get home, let's go for a walk together. So we get out, we get some exercise, we change perspective, and then we can talk about the grief that we're, we're going through, like quite deliberately. But, you know, that was just us. That was us finding a way to get through that day so we get to the next one. Mm. Yeah. But, and, you know, like they talk about, um, you know, resilience as being the ability to survive and mental toughness being the ability to thrive. That was us in resilience. You know, that was us finding a way to to just survive, and we did, and we got through. Um, but there was there was other things that you know, you offer. It's really easy to think that you're the only one going through something. Yeah. In any like in preterm birth loss, in you know grief, either grief, whatever shock or uh, you know, go back to whatever rapid you're in, you find yourself in at that period of time. Someone else has likely been through it. Yeah. You know, so there's always a space as well to, to start to talk or find a group or find someone or go see a counsellor. Like it's, um, we were probably a bit slow to do that. And, and certainly the way we sort of, we didn't originally name Sophie. We were in so much shock. And I think mm-hmm. it both irked us so much. So we didn't. And it, we didn't name her for nine months, mm-hmm. I don't reckon. And we and so we actually went back and, and named her and and gave her a funeral and the traditions like that matter, you know, in those periods of times. Mm. Traditions are a great way. They're they're a way of tying your line to something that gives you a open way to express your loss. Yeah. Because, you know, if any of you have ever been any any mental health or mental wellness journey, let's change it from health, mm-hmm. any mental wellness issue or, or blip, anytime you internalise rather than externalise, it's not going to be as positive if you can. So those those traditions of grief are great and they're, they're really having a space to go and grieve, all those things are really important. How did your teammates react to the news when you, when you broke it to them that this is what was going on in your personal life? It's pretty good. First time around was yeah. was okay, but you know it's it's hard, all right. So if you got a new work, let's use our context people might get. You got a new work colleague comes in that you don't really know, and they're going through a really tough period. Now people offer offer their support, um, but it's support's a two way street. You've got to be willing to accept it, and if you don't know yeah. someone very well and you you're in this massive state of shock it's really hard to accept support from from the outside now we had our parents and stuff mm. fly over and offer support but um it, there's long periods where you know where yeah it's just you and that's hard 
second time round, so we lost Sophie and then we lost Henry two years later and we'd been at the club for three years and we had some really great friends and we also were more integrated into the club, into the workplace and such. And um, Henry was born and then survived and uh, a bit like your brother, Sonny, he got an infection or a virus, yeah, got an infection and then died nine days later just because he's too little, you know, like he's had, he didn't have an immune system. And, um, and that was, that was hard. You know, the whole journey there was hard, but then we'd learned from the first time round. So we named Henry first off, you know, we were able to be with him when he, when he passed away. And then we were able to give him a proper funeral. Um, and we gave him a funeral and, Every single member of the club, including you know, the, you know, like I was in the senior club, every including members of the academy, including the board members, every single member of the club turned up to, to Henry's funeral. Mm-hmm. So here are we're foreigners in in you know, albeit in UK, but we the chapel was full, mm-hmm. and you carry you know you, you carry Henry in. And, and you give him a funeral and in recognition of other people. And now that is support. Like that is something I, I will never forget. I, I won't forget the individual people there. And then as he walked out, every one of them shook my hand and gave Sarah a hug. Mm. You know, like that's that's a powerful display of a club. And they, that's what that club fabric is about. You know, that's why I will always go back and love that place. It's nothing to do with the the rugby they play. Mm. It's to do with the quality of the individuals that are there, you know. And then also, um, I you know I spoke and Sarah spoke at the funeral about the power of a life, like a nine day life, and and the, the impact that that continue to have, you know. And the it's it's huge. And there also the we, there was this really beautiful moment at the end of Henry's life where the poor little bugger had been in. Humidity crib really unwell for his whole life. And when he's, you're in a humidity, you can't hold your mm. child, your children because they've got wires and tubes and whatever. And when he was dying, they finally got to take him out. We finally got to hold him for the first time in nine days. Now you've seen your own child and he's struggling and crook and you can only just hold their hand. And then when we, when Sarah held him for the first time, he, he went quiet and was calm. And his eyes were open and he was at peace, you know, like for the first time in mm. his whole life. Which, could you imagine like if any of us as adults being in a, a like a segregated zone, you know, COVID mm. might be the comparison. If you're like there and it's scary and no one, you can't have your family, your family might be only about to touch. And so the power of a, of a, of a hug and a power of contact, in, it was, was so visible. And again, like that's that's nine days that life for a lesson that becomes so tangible and so strong for if you've got someone going through something, the power of not just sitting there with them in it. Mm. Yeah, you know, I don't know what you're like. You know, I, I talked to and I, I spoke to Hunter. You know, which we're talking about a podcast I've done. Hunter does this great program called the Man Cave, and one of the things about Man Cave is, is sort of breaking down toxic masculinity. And I realized when I was talking to him, I was like, you know what? No one ever taught me how to be a great mate, a great friend when yeah. someone else is struggling. And I was like, well, what are your recommendations? His recommendation was just sit with them in it. 
Now that's good. That's really uncomfortable to you and that like for you as a person, but in, which is why we don't do it because it's uncomfortable mm. for us. Mm. But it's just to sit with your friends, male or female and say, I don't know what you're going through, but I'm here with you and I'm happy to sit with you. Yeah, like that. And that's, if you look, look that back in, yeah, with, with Henry, like, mate, I don't know what you're going through, Henry, but mate, I'm going to sit here. I'm going to give you a cuddle. Mm. And, and that is powerful. And that contact is, is matters, you know? So I know we went on a tangent there, but yeah, yeah that's no. part of my learnings. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's such a incredibly strong, um, I feel like those are the moments that I think we look back at and we smile. Like I, I, as you were speaking, Dean, I feel like, you know, as, as, as terrible as the situation was, um, being able to see the light and the celebration of life on the other end, I feel like that is what living is for. It's these moments, it's these memories that we can look back at, um, you and Sarah in a couple of decades time, you know, like looking back at these memories and realizing the celebration of life that there was and all these people and all these pillars of support coming together. That's all we, that's all we can take with us at the end of the day. It's these memories. Um, and, and for, for you, Dean, like was mental health, a, a conversation that you were having with your mates? Um, because, um, and I'd be keen to hear how that sort of shifted because, you know, as you mentioned, you're almost forced to share this story. Um, despite you perhaps yeah. not being ready or being ready, um, I, I imagine the processing time for 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 this would have taken quite some time. But yeah, at 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 that point in time when um you know you'd come back, you've taken a week off leave, um, you're sort of sharing this story with others. Um, yeah, what was that like in terms of just your own range and identity? Because yeah, I'd be keen to hear if mental health was a story that you talked about. Sorry, I asked yeah, no, five health, different ways. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. I got it. Um, the Yeah, no, it wasn't really a conversation. And the irony is athletes are so good at dealing with injury. Mm-hmm. Um, and injury is your test of resilience as an athlete like it will happen it will always happen i mean it's a bit like life you know something will always happen Mm. and it's how you deal with it and how you get back will define you as an athlete you know so you are almost a superpower dealing with Mm. pain uh is one of your superpowers and dealing with injury so uh i don't know any person that's been an athlete for longer than geez five ten years that has had probably a major injury that means they've got to have surgery and see physios and do a nine-month rehab. So why why then, as athletes, do we not perceive uh, wellness, whole wellness, and so mental, uh, like a, an episode where you, of mental uh, a test, you know, like if you're not feeling well mentally, why don't you deal that, look at that in terms of an injury? Mm. You know, because if you do your hammy, it's a range. You can have a grade one, grade two, grade three, and depending how bad that is, that will determine. Great, you get a grade three. That's four or five months. Mm. You know, mm. the same in in your mental wellness journey. Like you can have periods of time where you are, you might have grade three. Whatever happening in your life means that you are not coping at the moment. And you, you know, why don't why wouldn't you turn that into the ability to go? I need to go see someone. Yeah. I need to go the equivalent of a physio. I need to go see someone. I know it's going to take three or four months, and I know it's going to take a lot of investment in my time for me to get back well. 
I think that's a concept of like invest, like I'm mentally not strong. I'm struggling. I have to invest in my own wellness to be able to get back. Now I don't, that, yeah, I, I love that analogy of mental health because it's like, mm. if you've got a sore foot, don't run on it Yeah, and give yourself a week and come back and try again. And, but seek professional help. Mm. Um, in, in, Rugby circles, we don't talk about mental health. And very early on in my career, is actually you—you you were almost not like not in a negative manner. No one was trying to harm anyone, but you was almost compartmentalize your life. So, do whatever you want away from the field, but turn when you turn up, turn up and focus on this and do the best job you can. It was almost like uh, take care of your own backyard mentality. Mm-hmm. But what if you don't know how to, mm. <laughs> you know? And because, you know, the context, of, the, the fascinating thing about going into the sport and having 35 people you, you really get to know very well is you see all their context that they come from, their life and what backgrounds they have. And you would go from people from um, had been in community housing um, to, you know, people that have had, you know, far more opportunity in terms of schools and sports and whatever else they got to do. And other people might have been, this is the only sport they played. And mum and dad couldn't afford to get them trade, so they had someone else sponsor them through. You know, like the, the broad spectrum of, of, but yet you turn up in the same place and you're mm. expected to be the same person. You're expected to live a performance. But, yeah, so that was the early part. But by the end of my, by the end of my career, I started to realise, and perhaps it was going through these journeys myself, that you are, you have to, you you are all of who you are, and that is is the impact on your performance. You, know, you cannot have an area of your life or a relationship that's um, not going well, or you don't eat well, or you're not getting enough sleep, and then expect you to come and perform sustainably mm. at, at a at a given activity in sport. Yeah, we sport was ours, but I don't see it being any different at work. At all, you know, you can't expect to go and have three hours sleep and not eat well um, and not do exercise and expect to be sustainably good. Now, you can be good for two or three weeks at a time, but you cannot be good and you cannot perform for a high period of time, Mm. you know, or you're probably just less likely to be happy and you're less likely to enjoy what you're doing, you know. So that's, so therefore, I, I, I don't know what the shift is. There's obviously been a lot of people that have come out in the sporting world. Michael Hooper is an example as Wallaby's captain more recently. Exactly. Um, Meg Lanning is um, captain of the women's cricket team. They've come out and said, I'm, not, I'm struggling. Yeah. And I'm going away and I'm going to seek help and I'm coming back. Now, that is a, that's a physical injury journey. Mm-hmm. But, and they're breaking down the stigma, but it's still... It's, it's still um, it's still it's still a stigma right? because there's been seen to be brave and and you know really wonderful, which they have been. But that like the fact that you've been called brave means it's still a stigma. Yeah, yeah. it's like why is that different to having a physical injury that you need to go get seen and then you come back and you perform better? Mm. You know, so we need we need to continue to be um, to just embrace this as part of who you are, and you are going to have ups and downs. And having a sense of um, understanding or even having like being able to go and tangibly go and see someone is having finally having a sense of control on something that might have been out of your remit for a long period of time. And also like 
you're you're talking about intangibility earlier and i feel like with mental health it's one of those things that you just can't see i think what what makes the diagnosis of like a hamstring injury or of like a you've done your achilles you can actually point to it and actually see that uh you're maybe you're limping or you're, or you're not doing so good and that's probably been part of my struggle with like mental health and actually being able to encapsulate what it is it's that it's intangible like you you, you can't really see it you feel it you feel shit but you don't really feel much else you know in terms of like like you can't really point the finger at it and i think that's been part of the struggle i guess mank you and i have been doing the podcast for two years now and i guess it being at the forefront of us and our discussions, it's made it a lot easier to pinpoint. And I almost feel like being more involved um, within the mental health space has allowed me to feel a more diverse range of emotions. It's actually been really interesting because uh, even in the last two years, I've probably had a lot more sadder moments um, and a lot more happier moments. And maybe that's because I'm more in touch with who I am and and how I feel and what makes me tick. And um, It's also, sorry, just to follow up on that. Yeah. But what what you've done is given yourself the ability to encapsulate what you're feeling. Correct. You know, so when you know, let's use back the physical injury point of view. Mm. When I started playing rugby, I have a mm. I had a knee and I had an ankle and I had an elbow, but whether or not I've got mm. a patella and I got a patella tendon and I've got um, metatarsals and fibula and tibia. You know, you develop yeah. this language yeah. to understand what's sore and what's hurting. You know. Yeah, and then now I, you know, like physically now because I've I've encountered so much, you know, so many contacts, I can go, you know, like it's a, I've got an issue, but it's it's high up on, mm. you know, C yeah. four and five, yeah. So my my ability to conceptualize the pain that's going on is improved yeah. by the nature of the language that I have, but that's only yeah. taken experience to be able to get there, you know. Whereas when you know, like, and this is back to what Hunter's doing with Man Cave is giving people the ability to to end the language mm. to be able to talk about what they're feeling, because otherwise, mm. how do you even realise you're in pain, or how do you tell someone else yeah. what sort of pain you're in? Yeah, you know. And I think the ability to language and, and to learn around that is, is really vital. And then if you can realise it, then I can also back to physical injury. I can go, well, you know, I can see someone else limping. And it's like, well, that mm. looks like they've probably got yeah. an Achilles issue rather than a knee issue, mm. you know? So how do we do that from a mental awareness yeah. and a mental first aid approach as well? Yeah, it's a really interesting point you made there on language, Dean, because we, I've read this book called um, The Atlas of the Heart. It's a, it's actually a, a book that was recommended by one of our guests. And essentially, um, what, yeah, that's right. Um, essentially, the premise of the book is that... Um, language can be used mm. as kind of the the framework for meaningful connection between people yeah. so essentially the the the, the yeah, what, awesome. what, what they hope to achieve with this book is by accurately naming a particular experience it doesn't give the experience more power but it gives us the power of understanding meaning and, and choice so um for example he uh, describes different uh, experiences that we feel um that don't necessarily currently have a word attached to it um, but uh, he gives us those definitions. So there's one of the words is sonda, which is which is this idea that um, we as human beings are more complicated than we than we than we actually think. Uh, and there were some other. Um, yeah. And then uh, Mank, your your one. Sorry, sorry to steal it away. Like, um, uh, and then there was there was more lighthearted ones where he was just like that feeling when you say when you and a mate say bye, 
but and you're waiting for, and then and then you realize you're both waiting in the same elevator lift or like in the same <laughs> lobby and it, it's, a, it's an awkward feeling that both of you don't really acknowledge but it's, it's yeah. something that exists there so there was that and then there was another one where it's like the feeling and yes there's the, there's a word assigned to that and then there's another one where it's like um your alarm goes off and then you hit the snooze button uh and then you get back into bed and it's like there's no word for that but it's just that feeling you know when you hit the snooze button Mm. so it's it's things like that that sonder part is like incredible right like that realization that you when you when you realize and i always feel this like um you've been to melbourne uh dean i imagine probably multiple times and there's like you know i make i think you and i like back in the uni days like walking down swanston street right i remember just walking from walking down down swanson street from uni and just realizing that there's like so much life on the streets right there's like hundreds if not thousands of people that are walking past you you know at any moment and and just i don't know i i and like i don't know i almost get this this sense of joy and this sense of happiness just realizing that these moments where people are holding their hands laughing at each other like sharing these these small moments but realizing that the way you and I know each other, Meg, is like I know both of us are complex and nuanced in our own ways. But when you see yeah, other people rare. walking down the street, imagine applying like the same thinking. Like, I, like I don't know who you are, but you've probably got so much depth and so much like yeah. levels of story that exist in your life. Um, and I don't know for whatever reason, I, I and I feel like that's the that's the meaning of life. You know, being able to tap into those stories and understand, you know, what makes us take their purpose and. You can see as I, I probably get I probably get G'd up talking about it, but it's a great thing um, you G'd up about. It's, no, it's, it's connection, mate. It's good, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, that's a, that's your way to be. You, you, in essence, can be connected to everyone in the mm. fact that we're all got complicated lives. Yeah, yeah. So we're all connected in the fact that no one gets away without hardship. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, like we've all got it. It's all coming. We don't know mm. when it's coming. It's what you. It's it's your ability to. Yeah, be with it, sit with it, get through it. That mm. defines what it is. And also, it's okay if your journey takes longer than someone else's. Yes, you know, and it's completely fine that your journey is yours alone because we all do it. Mm. You know, and so it is a what a wonderful moment. You know, to walk down the street. It's also I was in Melbourne the other day, and where the hotel I stayed in was open. I would open the window, and. Um, I'm not a super regular meditator, but I try. And some mornings I get there, and uh, it's okay if I don't. And but I, I was like, one of the things I do, and I made her do it at home. And I live sort of near the bush here, and it's fine. And pick up all the bird life in the morning, really straight away. Great. But then here I was in Mil- um, in Melbourne. I was on in Lonsdale Street, um, you know, up near the sort of Meyer Emporium, right in the guts of it there. And then, but yet in the morning, I can hear all the birds chirping in the trees yeah. and you're like in the middle of the city. I can hear the trams and the yeah. sirens and the bandsaws and whatever other shit goes yeah. on. But then you can hear the birds at the same time. And then you, then you walk to work a little bit later and you can still hear those same birds in the trees. Yeah. So that you're disconnected to whatever's yeah. going on. Like it's really mm-hmm. lovely in the yeah. same way that you feel it. But Sonny, you don't get it unless you have some sort of mind. Like that's a mindful thing that you have yeah. this ability to think beyond yourself to someone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's cool. What's your purpose, Dean? <laughs> it's a very uh, <laughs> deep question. <laughs> yeah, so we went through an interesting. I had a, a great coach, and uh, his name is Michael Checker, who is and he's yeah, he's still coaches. He coaches now coaches Argentina, and he's just done the Lebanese rugby league team as well. Uh, oh, in the world Australia, Cup. he's Australian coach. He's Australian right? coach. Australian yeah, guy. he's got yeah, Lebanese yeah. Lebanese history, but grew up here in Sydney. Um, <clears throat> 
and he's a, he's about the best I've seen at encapsulating a getting a team behind a singular purpose, um, but also which is interesting to go through that process of developing a purpose with a team, but also um, being able to connect your own purpose to what that team purpose is. Um, and for many of us in that period of time, um, you didn't know what your own purpose was. Now, um, everyone, it was really interesting. And then we actually got there as a team, went through the process of developing your purpose. And then you, we then spoke and said and told the rest of the team what our purpose was. And so, you know, I appreciate why you wouldn't, this is not a question for everyone because not everyone's been through the exploration that perhaps needs to, to, to mm. understand what you put. So mine was, is, is, mm. and it has to be something to a portion of your being that is, is kind of your world of motivation, you know, that mm. you can always draw upon, you know, when it, and, and, and so for me that, and, and often, I would say often it is driven by some sort of hardship, you know, where, where you've got us, yeah. we've got a tear and then that tear, you know, sort of heals, but it, it's still, you, you know, only you know where that, yeah, it's stronger, but only you know where it's, mm. it is too. So for me, it was my, my purpose is linked to, to our journey to have children and, um, and to Sophie, Henry, Ella and Grace. And it's connected to the fact that they didn't get an opportunity to live their life. And so I feel, a, a duty or I feel grateful to have the opportunity to, to just take chance, yeah, to take chances to have. And if something comes across my, um, my desk is a analogy or something comes across in my life. Um, I sort of have my purpose is to make the most of that opportunity. Yeah. And that can be from talking to you guys today or, um, opportunity at work or whatever it is. If, you know, if I, if you decide to do it, if you decide that that's the right opportunities, then, um, I have, and I say duty, I, and duty is a word that keeps coming up for me here in my mind, but the duty to, to make the most of that because my children didn't get to make the most of theirs or didn't get the opportunity to yeah. live it. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's, that's my purpose. And it's, um, it's pretty broad, but I mean, I've been fortunate enough to hear other people's purposes. And one of the things a bit like, Sonny, you telling the story about your brother, one of the things, when you tell your own purpose to someone, when you lead with that vulnerability or when you lead with that vulnerability of a story, you get to hear other people's back. And it's really yeah. fascinating. And so yeah. you feel really privileged. Like I feel really privileged to have heard your story, Sonny. And I feel really privileged mm. to hear other people's purposes because that is so mm. deeply personal. And it's so it's theirs and they don't have to share you. And it's not something you introduce when you go to a networking event. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it, and it's, no. it's really, it's really a privilege to, to do it. So um, yeah, that's mine. Yeah. You're spot on. There's also like, I remember, um, I know we keep referencing the podcast you did with Hunter. And so we'll put in the show notes as well, but um, how Hunter described authenticity uh, opens up like these particles in the room. And I think, I think there was a line in there somewhere around people are just waiting to be, um, people are just waiting to lean in. It's all about just asking the right question and creating that space, but more or less people are just waiting to share. No one probably, obviously there's circumstances where, you know, you might not want to share, but I think people have stuff on their chest that at any one point in time, and it might not be the time that they want to share in that mm -hmm. moment. But when you lead with vulnerability, I think that definitely opens up the invitation for others. Yeah. And you've got to be the one to lead, lead with it. Um, 
but I think it it does definitely open up stuff. And I wanted to ask, just following on from that, I got this idea. Obviously, you talked earlier about these off the field experiences that inevitably flow on the field. You know, you can't really compartmentalize stuff that's going outside. You know, off the field and 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 just forget about it because it will play into your performance and the and the way you um carry yourself on the field. But you you work. Um, at the moment in corporate and and I imagine you're probably leading um, a lot of lot of um, juniors and and probably leading teams as well and a lot of your experiences um, you know off the field you know away from the corporate scene or away from your day-to-day you know you've had a range of different experiences leading leading up until that point but how has that helped you become a more empathetic and connected leader um, for for the people that are you know your juniors or, or people that are working with you um, because Mike and I both work in corporate and you get a range of people that work there, people that you're, you're sharing the same kitchen, you're sharing the same office. And these maybe aren't people that you would maybe go out of your way to spend the weekend with, but you're both, you're all connected by the same employer or, or the same purpose that this organization holds. But, um, and so as a result, you just get a range of different people, a range of different interactions, but yeah, for you, like how have those experiences shaped you to become a more empathetic yeah, and connected um, leader within the workplace? Well, no, I mean, this has spoken about before, but you have to bring all of yourself to work in order to be a great teammate mm. and and to really connect with people. And ultimately, all mm. uh, my belief, um, ultimately, I think people want to connect with other people. And work is a big portion of your life that sometimes does mm. not have a lot of connection with it. You know, and I've been in many different teams because I did a rotation when I came out. Um and I've been in lots of different mm. teams and seen lots of different environments. Um, and some some people like that. I, I, yes, I care about the work we're doing. Of course, I care about the work I'm doing. But I also understand from my point that your ability, as we talk, spoke about, to to be happy, to want to come to work, to have things in order, or even to be able to say to my boss, I'm just having a tough day. And do you mind if I have the morning off? means that you're going to do better work, you know. So, um, and that yeah. work is obviously, yes, it's a motivator. Yes, that's all what they're to do. But actually, I'm far more interested in this, you know, when you go through personality types, so I'm far more interested in connection. But my my belief being that connection will lead to far better work as well, you know. So <clears throat> one of the first things I do yeah. with a team is to try and work on the the connection between us. Um, and ultimately, there's, as I said, I literally did this um, exercise with my team this week, and I've got a brand new team, and I've only just started. I'm about three weeks in with it. And um, I said, there's three ways that I've seen that teams get really tight. One is um, there's a great team in, in rugby called the, the Barbarians, and they're a British based invitational selection team. They play this week, mm-hmm. I think. Right? So you're a chance to watch him. But basically, Barbies, you get together as a, a range of um, people, all different countries of the world, totally different backgrounds. Uh, and historically, you just have a, a shitload of beers and then you go play a game of rugby. But after the end of that period of time, you're yeah. an incredibly tight group. Um, so application of alcohol is a way to get tight. Not, a, not sustainably, but certainly short term. Doing hard work mm-hmm. together, like physical or mental, like a massive tender or um, in a work context or, you know, really hard gym sessions, like 
but gym sessions where you're like you are breaking new ground in terms of hardness you know like you're like looking at each other going this is fucked mm. yeah that's that's how you get yeah and we've all had those yeah. sessions <laughs> and um that's how you get tight and then the other one is vulnerability you know and so being able to display to yeah. someone else that you don't know something about your life that they don't know is that is for me that's it, that is the best connector mm. I've seen, you know. So, and and it has to start with mm. the leader. It, it won't work unless the leader shares about themselves and brings themselves to work, uh, yeah. and says, you know, on some days I'm having a shit day, and I, you know what, I'm timing out. Like I need to, I need to just take a break because it's right for me. And so we do this, we did this thing earlier in the week, and it's called the Triple H, and I learned it from rugby. And it's you do it, um, hero, hardship, yeah. and honor as three areas you want to go and talk to. And I did it with my team this week. And um, every time I do it, I love it because you just hear about, you know, like, or the other ones I've done is like, tell me where your grandparents are from. You know, everyone's got grandparents and where they're mm. from. And you just sort of, you start to invite areas of themselves from outside of life into that. And it's so fascinating even both of those, like everyone in Australia yeah. is, we're not an old country. Everyone's here kind of first or second generation. My parents are from yeah. New Zealand. Um, yeah, and we, I immigrated when I was young. You know, other people would be first or second generation Australians are the best, you know. But even if they're not, does it matter? Like it's it's their journey, it's their story, it's where they're from. But we've got diversity and we should celebrate it. Like it's it's so fascinating. And that hero, and it just doesn't matter who your hero is. Does it matter what your hardship is? Not really. Like, I mean, I don't mean that in a negative way, but like, does it matter the, the story? Because that's your hero. That's mm. your hardship. That's your honor. And like, I don't care if it's, I get the, I, my greatest honor is getting a cracking chocolate milkshake from down the road for free. You know, like who cares? Like that's, that <laughs> yeah. means the most for you. Wonderful. You know, so, but you're, you you have to go deep to tell that story. Yeah. There's so much to unpack there. I mean, I mean, you mentioned there, you mentioned there three really important themes. That uh, the first being building relationships, whether that's through obviously um, tempering the alcohol a little bit, but um, <laughs> building relationships, um, experiencing stress and and vulnerability, all they all kind of point to a few things. The first being this idea of building trust. Uh, and if you look at all the high-performing teams, I know we've mentioned Simon Sinek um, a little bit earlier, and he actually gave a really great talk about the Navy SEALs and how they, op- and how they operate and how they hire new, uh, new recruits. And uh, what he did was he plotted um, two variables on a graph. On the y-axis, he had skill, and on the x-axis, he had trust and what he found was that in one of the most elite teams in the world they would actually prefer someone that they that had high trust over someone with higher skill Um, and one of those ways to build that trust is through those three things through building relationships um, and and vulnerability mostly Um, the second thing was that you mentioned that that this leads to is um, this idea of just breaking down barriers because breaking down barriers, I think all three of those things break those well, down. Well, yeah. The other way to look at it is that they all expose more of yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, which I hadn't thought about. So what you're arranging, you know, like they all induce, um, you know, when you're under stress, you go to who you really are. When you're on the alcohol, you generally go to, you know, may not be who you are. 
some sort of alter ego that exists in you. Um, and then vulnerability is, it has to be who you are, you know? So yeah, that's, it's sort of, it, it is an expose of a different part of who you're, it's not a front. It has to be you, you know what I mean? Mm. Dean, probably, probably last one from our end is like, how, how can people listening support the work that you're doing with um, Born and, um, where can we find more information about you and um, all the all the charity that you and Sarah are part of? Yeah, um, I mean, if you Google "born HMRI," uh, you'll get it. Uh, or uh, you know, or it's at uh, www.hmri.org.au forward slash born, and there's a way to donate. But I mean, also. You can you can support us just by being aware when someone goes through that, yeah. and you'll find, there'll be someone in your life that is subject to preterm birth. I've told this story at work, and I then have conversations with five or six people that have, have been through it, uh, and that's in my small sub mm. sub segment of work. Um, and people have been brave and have been kind enough to to share their stories with me. I love hearing it, you know. Mm. And so it, it's also being being able to go there and sit with someone that's that's been through it maybe from this conversation maybe you have a bit more of an understanding about what they're going through or maybe you can year on year remember the the child's name and send them a text message and go happy birthday mm. um you know things like that um and that's that's a great way to contribute and that's a great way around awareness of, of preterm birth and and the, the legacy effects of having children and continuing to have children but just not getting to raise them yeah it's definitely i think uh make i'm sure probably similar for you but at least for me dean like it's definitely raised the awareness that i have around preterm birth like um yeah even even just hearing i think just being surrounded by these stories um it just opens up your world to like everything's relative right you know like we always feel like we're the only ones going through something um but i think this really opens you up and we're all like I, i i liked your analogy of the river like we're all in the river some sometimes there's riptides and other times it's a bit calm, but it's all taken us to some destination. So, um, yeah, massive... and somehow just except just somehow accepting you you are in the river. Yeah, yeah, is is yeah. okay. Yeah, like, we're all in it. <laughs> like, yeah, and yeah, we might want to go back there, but we can't, and that's fine. Yeah, you yeah. know, and and accepting the fact that you 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 can't get back there. That this is ever changing, um, and yeah, it's a. Yeah, it's a nice analogy. I think mm. I often reflect on it. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm going to steal that one as well. <laughs> uh, and and uh, and and uh, yeah, just like thank you for coming on and sharing your story on behalf of Manic and I. Way like we started the podcast about two years ago, and and the purpose of the podcast yeah. was to focus on storytelling. And and the reason for that is because of the sense of connection it gives us, um, both within this room. Like I know it's a it's a virtual room at the moment, but there's already this sense of connection with you, Dean, that I certainly feel, and also like all of us are made up of stories. Like even if someone listening doesn't, doesn't relate to your entire end to end story, they can at least relate to different pockets. Cause I feel like we've juggled different plates and different hats um, across the la- last hour and a bit. So um, just want to say a massive thank you. And, and just want to honor, um, we, we chatted about Sarah as well, um, her part in your story and in the conversation that we've had as well. Yeah. Thank you. No, I really appreciate it. It's been awesome chatting. And then, but yeah, like this story doesn't happen without you yeah. guys having the guts to go and then start the podcast. Mm. And you've got to go, you've got to hang yourself out there mm. every week and prepare and do all the work to get it done. So good on you and for facilitating the ability to tell stories. They really matter. Thank you, Dean. Thank you so much, mate. Thank you, man. 
And that's a wrap for this episode. If you're enjoying our conversations, please help us out with a quick rate and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. All the conversations are recorded in video, so check us out on Instagram and Facebook at our handle at BottledUpOz. Drop us a comment or a message if any of these conversations resonate with you. And most importantly, please share this podcast with anyone who might need it. So as always, this is Bottled Up. Thanks for being part of our family and see you next time.